0: Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 39 of Stranger in a Cinema, your weekly dose of unfiltered film chat with myself, Paul Anderson, and my co-host, Mr Pete Wall. Hello, how's it going? Uh, Paul... I know that you're a better man than me for the
1: fact that you're working this episode through what seems to be some kind of a concussion that you've managed to pick up in the last hour or so. Is that is that fairly I accurate? hope it's
0: not concussion, but I do have a banging headache because at work today, uh, whilst fiddling around with a HDMI cable, which is part of my job, which I mostly quite enjoy... Uh, when are you not fiddling around with an HDMI cable, um, to yeah, be fair? Co- constantly, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I did get up rather quickly, uh, crack my head on a shelf and then bite my tongue at the same time. So... Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not feeling the best, Pete, to be honest, but I am here Thanks for the listeners commitment, at home. though, dude. Like, so, yes.
1: Incredible commitment to the cause that you still got yourself in position, ready to go on episode 39. <laughs> um, yeah, so this week, as per always, we're going to go through the usual sections of the show, starting with um, what we're calling for the time being the inbox section. We want to talk about a couple of things coming up in the world of film that we're thinking about or whatever. Um, Paul, what have you got this week for an inbox section
0: So what I've seen this week is that uh, director Freddy Alvarez, um, famous for the awesome uh, Evil Dead remake and the...
1: Yeah, the weird weird Evil Dead remake, which I now think is really good. And then I looked up, I found my notes on the film from the time I actually watched it, which were fairly scathing. So I don't know where actually I need to watch it again. But
0: yeah. I still maintain it was good. Um, and the I think service is slightly overrated don't breathe which was decent but I didn't think was amazing better first half than second Um, half definitely that yes so he is now attached to direct um, a spin-off not a remake which is interesting of the cult 80s classic labyrinth Mm. Um, I'm quite intrigued by this if he's if he does it with as much love and sort of affection as he treated the evil dead remake with I think this could be quite exciting yeah. What do you think, Pete? Well, Paul,
1: as you <laughs> well know, and thanks for the setup, I've never seen Labyrinth. Um, Jennifer Connolly's Tear Ducks hadn't come into full effect by that time because she was like, what, 12 or something yeah. when she in that film. Um, I haven't quite with it. I think even somebody gave it to me on DVD as a gift and never watched it. So I'm in the doghouse for that. And um, well, I'd I think imagine. That might,
0: that might tie up um, uh, something that may happen later on in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's a an open goal, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm quite excited about that. Um,
1: yeah. well Well, I'm going to tie straight in with that actually talking about uh, Jennifer Connelly at least in the fact that my sort of it's not a coming attraction because what we try and do and and Paul's been stringent on this which I think is the right way to go is with coming attractions we keep it to films that have got trailers that you can actually go and look at and you know they're sooner to be to be uh, released than what I'm choosing here, which is the film Alita Battle Angel, um, slated to come out next year. Whether it will or not, I don't know. This is um, the newest offering from Robert Rodriguez, who frequently collaborates with Quentin Tarantino, and I think with a, a bit more, uh, what's the right word for this? It's a bit more of a sort of joyful and sort of fun director than Quentin Tarantino, yes. who can be yeah. a bit self-serious and, and you know, and ir- irritating and yeah. overrated, yeah. Um, and the cast for this thing is, from my point of view, at least, pretty exciting. We have um, Jennifer Connelly that I mentioned, Mahasha Ali that we saw in Moonlight, and I still can't say his first name particularly well, but skip over that. Um, we've also got um, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, who was in the Fast and Furious movie that we're gonna to get to today in the features section. Yep. And uh, as Battle Angelita herself, Rosa Salazar, who is an actress that I brought Rosa out. Salazar?
0: Please? Well,
1: I'm really excited about this because Rosa Salazar was the um, lead or co-lead in the film uh, Night Owls, which was an indie film that came out about a year ago. I talked about it on the show, about a girl who gets sort of really, really drunk and ends up having to be kept awake. She tries to have an over, uh, take an overdose. She has to be kept awake by a guy all night in her boss's house. And it turns into sort of a two-hander and really quite well-handled, amusing um, endeavour, really. But Rosa Salazar is just an actress a bit like... Uh, like a less sort of kooky Aubrey Plaza who's got like edge about her. She's got edge and she sort of is great with sort of a withering put down and stuff so seeing her get this bigger you know bigger budgeted and just bigger in general role is is pretty exciting from where i'm seeing so um looking forward to that but it's like a year away yeah so whether we'll or
0: see. not i i'll be i think you're being optimistic I, I believe this has been in post pre or pre not post-production hell pre-production hell for many years now with a number of different directors attached to it so it'd be nice to see uh well, it's, be nice to see if it comes out and whether or not the actual commercial failure of ghost in the shell mm. will impact this getting made
1: well I can tell you this much it is being made because Rosa Salazar I listened to in uh, on another show recently and she was talking about having just flown back from filming oh cool so So it's a real thing it's in the pipeline it's just a little while away and it you know post production on a thing like that the marketing phase and stuff is going to be fairly long I would imagine so maybe later 2018 we'll see on that one I'm
0: with you on that one sounds cool quite excited for that should look amazing if nothing else so.
1: so we've got
0: a number of things
1: coming up as we usually have we've got popcorn movies and we'll get to those in just a moment but we've got two sort of very as we usually try to do very different features this week have we not Paul what what are we going to feature we
0: have this week we are featuring as feature reviews um fast and furious eight colon the fate of the furious fate with an eight people that's right clever um, and also the uh, slightly different uh, paced film uh, starring Jim Broadbent, The Sense of an Ending. And, and Rampo. Let's not forget Charlotte Rampling, one of my and very, very favourite actresses. Yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, so we'll get to both of those and then at the end of the show we'll do our homework where we'll review the films that we were set by each other last week and set some more films for the coming seven days, I guess. So let's get right into it, Paul. Popcorn movies. Look at this high energy that I'm bringing to this episode. It's you almost managed.
0: You are. I, know, I like it, Pete. I like it a lot. Um, and in fact, I'm going to carry on with with some high energy here because my uh, House is my first popcorn movie. I think it's 1986. Is this that medical drama by, on TV? No, a lot of guy. everyone's asked me yeah. this, and when they were going, oh, has oh, my House box sets arrived. I'm very excited. People like, oh, I didn't know you like the TV show. It's not the TV show. It's a box set, and I'm probably going to bore you with House two, three, and four for the next four weeks as well. So, um, but no, House is a 1986 um, horror comedy directed by Steve Miner who also made, I believe, Friday the 13th Part 2 and at least another one of those films. Um, Very excited to see this because, as a kid, I always saw House on the shelves in the video shop, right at the top shelf, and thought, I'll never be allowed to watch that. And I've caught up with a lot of those 80s horror films that, I, that I've always wanted to see and then never well, did. some of them reviewed on this um, year's show. Some so. of them reviewed on this year's show. Um, and House is one of, one of the big gaps in my kind of 80s horror uh, watching to be perfectly frank so when arrow announced the box set i was like yes it's an arrow restoration it looks great it's a lot of fun i really really enjoyed it um it's, it's a lot more lighter hearted than a lot of the, the comedy the horrors at the time um it's a lot of i said it's it's a very fun film um stranger things owes this i think uh, a debt of gratitude in in this film um basically just to set the scene a little bit you have uh, a horror author loses is getting divorced from his wife he's lost his child in mysterious circumstances in his aunt's house um his aunt kills herself they think he goes back to the house the house is haunted and there's lots of practical effects and lots of creatures and basically he realizes his child's been taken to this like alternative dimension a bit like the upside down um right but it's just a lot of fun and it's done with, it, with a slight we, of hand are we early 80s here or 86, later? 86 I think okay so yeah. a bit later than because yeah.
1: I'll, I'll get to it later on but Evil Speak was the thing you sent me from yes. the sort of 80s yeah. horror canon um, for yeah. the homework which yeah later in the show
0: but kind of in that in that vein of, of very humorous and so um, not taking yeah. itself too seriously presumably no not at all um, there's some really nice there's some really nice practical effects that are very uh, you, you'll know if you're into these kind of films you'll know what I mean when I say good practical effects I don't mean like walking dead level good practical effects i mean for the time they've got a lot of charm to them and they you know they give they give the film a, a sense of identity and yeah it, it was great i really liked it cool
1: um one that i was quick to fire a message over to you paul about um just well, last night i guess i watched this two nights ago last night last night um, yeah, yeah popped up on netflix it's actually a netflix production my first popcorn film for this week and that is um Charlie McDowell's follow-up to the one I love, which
0: was awesome. The one I love,
1: I absolutely adored. Yeah, I think we both did. Yeah. I think they got onto a maybe end of year list as well. I think or it did, both. Yeah. It was an awesome. Um, with Margie Plass and Elizabeth Moss, this one um, is called The Discovery, and it is a film about the discovery that there is an afterlife, or it seems to be that that is the discovery that's been made. Um, from the outset, we're alongside uh, Jason Siegel who takes the role of the son. Pretty
0: good in this, I thought.
1: The son of Ro- Robert Redford, which is a, an interesting yeah. <laughs> face match there. But um, yeah, Robert Redford's kind of explaining at the beginning his his vision and how he sticks to the fact that the discovery is for the benefit of mankind, even though there has been a huge spate of suicides. Obviously, when people realise that there is an afterlife and you can get there, a lot of people choose to make that step themselves, let's say. Um, then we have this film that's sort of confined to pretty much one country house sort of compound location. Rooney Mara comes onto the scene as a I guess de facto love interest for Jason Siegel and with her own backstory that we get to um, sort of piece over as the the plot moves forward. Now you've seen this as well Paul because of the fact that you responded you know, yesterday to my message. Mm. What was your take, and we'll get into a short discussion of this thing.
0: Uh, I liked it for the most part. I thought Jason Segel was actually pretty good in a, a straighter role than I'm used to seeing him in. Robert Redford is always good, in fairness, um, and Reema is an actress I quite like as well. So I didn't think there was any issue with the performances. I thought the the opening, the, probably the first half, was incredibly strong, and I thought it set up a sense of intrigue. I was like, this is a bit different. Have they found the afterlife? What is this about? I, I really liked, I really liked the concept. I think in its execution, I think it suffers a little bit because it disappeared up its own arse a little bit towards the end, I think. And I don't think it really knew where it was going. Um, yeah, I And mean, it was just Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, surely Right,
1: it, it's a film that wears its influences very much on its sleeve One of which is certainly the fact that it's virtually a remake of, of Eternal Sunshine, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Without the absolutely incredible visuals that you get in that mm. film um, It also owes a lot, I think, to uh, try this name on for size Bat Manglage, the guy who works with <laughs> Britt Marling on all of okay, their projects *Sound of My Voice and recently on the OA
0: Another Earth, is that...? And, and Another Earth, yeah. yeah.
1: It, that was their first one together, yeah. I think, at least as a feature. So, um, yeah, and particularly with the OA recently, I thought, with the the whole sort of near-death, after-death mm. stuff that happens in that show, it felt, to me, inferior to most of its influences, if I'm honest. I have problems with it as well in the fact that I think um, Jason Seagull, as much as he does his best with this material, is kind of miscast. I, I don't buy the love interest at all uh, with Rooney Mara, who plays sort of, you know vaguely intellectual glassy-eyed blankness for the most part which I think she does quite well it's not necessarily a criticism but I think Jason Segel just sort of plods through this thing and he's sort of devoid of, of much you said the film there's intrigue, and I think there is intrigue in the in the idea, mm, but the in the characters themselves. You. Yeah, the premise is really interesting. The characters themselves, I think, it becomes a bit limp. Riley Keogh's in this thing as well as the uh, the girl who's sort of a bit of a yeah. loose cannon in the uh, in the sort of asylum situation that they're in. And again, it's, it's all to me felt a bit flat. It felt like some of the scenes were sort of underlit. Um, the, the the energy of the thing is so low because we're circling around the issue of suicide in the afterlife. You've got like Jesse Plemons, for example, who in this just seems like just unbelievably depressed, and Robert Redford's other son, who looks nothing like Jason Segel, incidentally. <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah, the thing just felt like like it's a weird thing to say because it's a film about like death and the afterlife and stuff. But it's, it's a bit of a downer. Like, the whole thing. I bit think bit it downer. was a bit of a
0: downer. I I think I liked it more than you did. I think I, I don't think it was. I don't think it's a terrible film by any stretch. And I, I think there was there is there's certain things to like. I think if you. Compare it to the director's previous work, then it certainly is a disappointment compared to how good the one I love well, was. Well, I was going to ask you, Paul, um,
1: do you think, though, that, I mean, yes, you like it a little bit more than I do, but I th- had a thought watching this film that is this sort of the result, in a way, or the, the other side of the benefit that you get from things like Netflix and Amazon Productions, where a filmmaker like Charlie Mac- McDowell is given the opportunity to put out a film that might not get a cinematic release otherwise, right? Mm but maybe we don't necessarily get the best work because projects can be pushed through on a, on a lower budget can be pushed through in a more limited time frame i, I don't know if this fo- this thought is fully formed but no i It I, felt to me like a bit of a this was filmed after the one i love but it feels a lot more sort of immature and unfinished than that film
0: no i think it just i think it just overreached um mm. I, I do see your point but i don't think i think i disagree i don't i don't think it's Deliberately feels immature or rushed. I think it's, it's just overreached. I think it's it was a very. It's a big topic to take on, um, and if you're going to try and do something as profound as they were trying to do, and then end up aping other films, I don't. I don't think it was deliberate, and I don't think it was I- intentionally sort of rushed or anything like that. Because it was on Netflix, I just think they maybe overreached and, themselves. And I mean,
1: like you, you talk about yeah these influences. I mean, at the end, it becomes a, another Gwyneth Paltrow film, maybe, and you think, like, really, that's yeah. what this is all for?
0: Like, geez. yeah, it felt like a bit of a soppy romantic cop out. Yeah. Sort of at the end, but. So,
1: I mean, interesting, definitely interesting. We like the filmmaker. Uh, check it out for yourself. Have your own opinion. There's but, a
0: lot. There's a lot worse films you could watch. Of, c- yeah, of course there are. I think from, just for my perspective, my, really. my hopes are
1: high for someone like Charlie McDowell. The guy's 33 years of age. Mm. I mean, he's a very young filmmaker. I hope for it, sort of bigger and better things in the future. We're well, not, yeah. not even necessarily bigger, just better things. I mean, y- like there are comparisons early on with Shane Carruth and you think yeah. this is this looks horribly immature and underdone yeah. compared to what he's doing now so you know maybe I'm being harsh uh, let's move on from this one and get to what you've got
0: next okay what I've got next is uh, Win It All which was another uh, film that I believe and correct me if I'm wrong here Pete had its debut on Netflix so yeah. um, more again uh, this is this is directed by Joe Swanberg, who has done a bit of work with Adam Wingard and those and those guys, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. Well,
1: and and things like um, Happy Christmas with yeah. Anna Kendrick and uh, Drinking Buddies, um, a load of what what a load of people call like mumblecore films. Yeah. right? he's kind of at the vanguard of that.
0: Yeah. Um, and again more. And what I will say is again more power to Netflix for putting these out oh, so they you, you sort of worldwide release at the same time it's great because we don't get to see these kind of films in the cinema and maybe Netflix should be picking up more films like Raw or more films like The Handmaiden or yeah. I Am Not Your Negro distributors please talk to them because Cine World obviously aren't showing what well, like yeah, we had put with, more films onto Netflix if you can't get them in the cinema
1: absolutely like we had Remind Me the Filmmaker the, the film we had um, I Don't Feel at Home in This World yeah. Anymore like that, that guy is the actor yeah. um, who, who became first time director yeah. that was out through netflix yeah so it's great
0: to see it but so anyway just netflix please pick up some more distribution rights because we're not seeing enough things in the cinema uh on a side note back to win it all directed by joe swanberg uh starring um is it jake johnson jake johnson yeah it's jake johnson isn't it he's a guy is a face i always recognise from a number of things and never quite put a name to it so it was quite nice to to put a name to it so he's kind of like a, a down and out sort of gambler gambler drinker not a you know not a great guy he's not necessarily um, living the right way is he he's kind no, of like no.
1: uh, yeah he, he's on it lives on his own and he sort of um keeps secret some of the excesses of his life i think to yeah the people even nearest and dearest to, to um, him
0: just as his kind of life gets starts to patch itself back together through assistance of family members he ends up uh hiding a bag for his like criminal friend as this criminal goes to jail he looks in the bag spends all the money in the bag and well, then and has to and try and gamble You it. shouldn't miss the fact that he is told by
1: this criminal all you have to do is stick this thing in the cupboard in the closet and I'll pick it up from you in like six to nine months yes. like that, and then I will give you $10,000 and that is it. That's all you have to do Just don't talk to anyone. And you know, telling his friend, you know, uh, Keegan-Michael Keyes in this is a sort of a support group, uh, uh, what do we call that, like sponsor and he's saying to him, you know, don't be a moron. Yes. Just leave the money and then you'll make money. That's it, and that doesn't work out too well, right? No,
0: uh, it wouldn't be. In fairness, if he do, did leave the money, there wouldn't be much of a film. Um, it's enjoyable. I think it's nice to see um, Jake Johnson and Joe Latruglio in yeah. like straighter roles. Joe Letruglio from Brooklyn Nine Nine plays his brother. It's nice to see the, the pair of them in, in slightly straighter roles than we're used to. Um, the film, I think, starts off much like um, the Discovery starts off. I think very very well um you kind of get the thrill of the gambling as he's trying to win the money back you you know you are with the character you do kind of feel a bit sorry for him in a way you kind of you do want him to succeed and then i just felt it kind of petered out a bit peter (laughs) (laughs) nice segue yeah uh you've also obviously you've seen this because you've helped me set the scene but what what did you think
1: yeah yeah i'm pretty much with you man like I like Joe Swanberg quite a lot I think like the Duplass brothers they take a lot of flack by people who maybe don't take the time to really watch the films um too much and just form an opinion too quickly um Uh, Yeah, there's a lot to like, but you're right. I think the the first half is much stronger than the second half. Uh, Particularly the sort of denouement of the film is a bit twee. uh, Maybe a bit like we said about the Discovery. Maybe this is a a virus infecting sort of talented young filmmakers who are getting Netflix deals. Who who knows? But um, yeah, the the moments that are good are those sort of vertiginous, like stomach-churning moments where you can, like you said, put yourself in the position of the character. Because we all know... That feeling, maybe a little bit. I've never gambled away tens of thousands of pounds. Thank God. Touch wood, I never will. But I've done that thing before where you like win a little bet on the football mm. or something and then immediately place all the money on another bet and then hate yourself because you've thrown that money away. We've all, you know, spent too much money on a night out or however small it might be in your own case. So you feel that stuff and it's powerful material. It's a shame here that maybe in the end um, the, yeah, the chips fall in a way that is like less pleasing I think and, it and just kind of ended of on a
0: little bit of possibly a little bit of a cop out where they didn't really know where to go at the end and it all kind of ends with everyone holding hands and quite happy really yeah um, i mean yeah we,
1: we can't spoil exactly what what happens in this film but it yeah it maybe
0: doesn't take the well i kind of have so apologies there listeners well it, it, <laughs> it definitely
1: doesn't come down as hard as you might think on our sort of luckless protagonist in the no. end but yeah again a lot of stuff to like i think i prefer this well i know i prefer this to the discovery um so both of them are on netflix for your enjoyment if you've got that service so i would get into it and, and just see what you think yourself We've got one more, haven't we? I've been talking too much, so I've got one more to do and I'll try and keep it brief. Please cut me off, Paul, whenever you want.
0: What have you got, Pete? I've got Mustang. Too much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mustang was nominated for the best foreign language film at the Oscars not this year, but last year, I believe, 2016. Um, It's a Turkish set uh, film directed by a female Turkish director and the screenplay by a French Screenwriter Anna Winnicore. Um The director's name is here somewhere in my notes. Uh, Denise Gamze Erguvin, let's say.
0: I think that's an impressive effort if, it, if that isn't the correct pronunciation, in fairness.
1: Yeah, it's a film that um, has been fairly widely criticised online when it has been criticised for being a bit too close to the plotting and setup of the Virgin Suicides. Full disclosure, I've not seen that Sophia Coppola film, have you? Yes. Okay. Um, I
0: really liked The Virgin Suicide I haven't seen it for many years but um, but you haven't caught up with Mustang at this I point. haven't caught up with Mustang it'd be interesting no then too. for you to watch it having seen that
1: film and I'll try and go the other way and, and watch Virgin Suicide to be fair to this film, I don't think there's too much benefit in just hitting a film over the head because it's influenced by another film. I, I okay, don't, you'd hit
0: every film over the head with something and pre- everything's influenced by precisely. something Precisely.
1: So. And I mean, a remake is, you know, a million different things or a reworking is a million different things. It could be fantastically well done or it could be a waste of time. It depends on the filmmakers and, and you know, what they come up with. So um, this thing tells the story of five girls in rural Turkey who are kept in increasingly confined or sort of fairly isolated Circumstances by their controlling father, all because at the beginning of the film they're seen playing, sort of frolicking in the uh, surf with some boys. And the family is so nervous about how this might be viewed by the community, the sort of orthodox community, that. The father takes it upon himself
0: to basically shut them indoors. Okay, it's very, very similar to the version. That's of what I've film. heard. Yeah, yeah,
1: it brought to mind for me, having not seen that, things like uh, Samira Makhaleh's film, The Apple. I don't know if you know this thing. No, nope. it's a thing I stumbled across on TV like ten or fifteen years ago, which is superb about little girls who are kept hostage. Well, kept in confinement in Iran. Okay. In, in that case, um, also things like even Dogtooth or the documentary The Wolf yep. Pack um, about people sort of growing up away from the rest of society. Yeah. Um the best work of the director here and of the cinematographers that uh, I think there are two cinematographers working in tandem here. Um the best work that they do is the scenes of elation. The scenes of like when these girls get to experience real joy. There's one sequence and it's fantastic where they break out of their house because they find out that Uh, through the one television in their home, that there's going to be a, um, I think it's a Trabzom or Fenerbahce, one of the big uh, Turkish teams is playing a home game and it's all women. In attendance because uh, all the men have been banned because of trau- uh, crowd trouble, which is a very real thing in, mm. in Turkish top flight football. So they break away and they try and get there. And just that rush of feeling, you know, when people who don't get to experience this great joy and excitement have that opportunity. It re- it's really rousing stuff and it's put together beautifully. The The girl who we are with for the most time is the youngest of the group. And again, for such a young actress, I think she can only be sort of twelve or thirteen. Really, really engaging stuff, uh, uplifting stuff within all the sort of grim reality mm. of the way these people have to live before they get married off to whichever guy in an arranged sort of shotgun yeah. wedding. Um, is is to recommend it sort of quite quite highly. So yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot. Whether having watched uh, Sophia Coppola's film, I'll feel differently. I don't know. I don't particularly admire her as a director anyway but we'll see
0: I guess Dage is Suicide prob- is certainly one of her best films I think but um, I think I'd like her more than you anyway which brings us then to away from popcorn movies uh, to coming attractions um, I'm very excited Pete this yeah. week because it's the second week in a row I get to talk about Star Wars oh goody um, <laughs> uh, and this week um, you probably have seen it if you're listening to a film podcast it's very unlikely enlight- you haven't seen the teaser trailer for Star Wars the Last Jedi, um, so that is my coming attraction this week, uh, which means I probably now don't get to talk about it not, again. Not until, heard of it, mate. What's this? Until December, <laughs> um, it's Star Wars Episode Eight. Yes. Um, the direct follow-on from Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. Yes. Are you aware of this yet? Have but you? not following on from the you last. You haven't watched film, the trailer, have you, Pete? But not. F- no, I think I have. Yeah, I think I have. Okay, not following from Rogue One because that was Episode Four. Right. So it's following on from Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. Are you With it, yeah, is it episode four? Because I thought episode four was the first Star Wars film, yeah. But Rogue One is the prequel cool to that, isn't it? Oh, so it's episode 3.5 then. The Rogue One, one is 3.5. 3.5. Yeah. 3. Yeah. Now, now yeah. I'm clear, yeah. yeah. Come on, man. Off. Right, anyway, you're taking the excitement but, out because, of Star Wars because, of favorite.
1: course, yeah, because of course, I'm the moron when they decide to have a film series <laughs> that goes four, five, six, one, two, three, uh, seven, <laughs> 3.5, eight. That's where we are, right? You
0: now. make a, a very good point, in fairness.
1: Why why are you particularly excited about this, other than Ryan Johnson? Because it's proper Star Wars. It's got
0: lightsabers and an opening crawl in it. So for me, you need an opening crawl. Uh, It's got lightsabers in it. I really enjoyed the Force Awakens, despite its obvious similarities to Episode Four, which Mm. were there. I like the characters. I like I liked pretty much everything about the Force Awakens to be perfectly honest. So it's, for the sequel, I'm very excited. And this to see is Daisy continue. Ridley back in, in Daisy Ridley yeah. and uh, the Baba Yeager as you described yes. him, John Boyega. Uh, so it's those it's those that cast back again. Um, as we mentioned, I think last week when we talked about Rogue One, it's also directed by Ryan Johnson, which is going to be very interesting to see how we handles Rick and uh, yeah. Looper. I want to say The
1: Brothers Bloom, but that's maybe not the greatest example no, of his No, it work. was him,
0: uh, Looper, and the awesome, awesome episodes of Breaking Bad. So very excited. It's Star Wars, it's Ryan Johnson. Boom, it's over to you, Peter.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I butchered her name once, and now I'm going to do it again. My coming attraction is the next piece of a directorial work from Denise Gamze-Erguvin, who was the director of the previously mentioned film Mustang. This one, interesting to me for a number of reasons, is called Kings. It's due for a release this year... It stars Daniel Craig and Halle Berry, so it's an English language film, okay. and it's set. and This came up maybe we we're talking about uh, OJ Simpson. A few is it like ago. lost
0: in translation? This one,
1: it is not. It is <laughs> uh, about a foster family in South Central a few weeks before the city erupts into violence following the verdict of the Rodney King trial in nineteen
0: ninety-two. to Made in America,
1: which I've been exactly in as well, yeah. linking into to Made in America and that stuff with OJ Simpson. Yeah, um, the subject matter to me is really interesting. I worry a little bit about Daniel Craig slash Halle Berry, but we'll see because this director is certainly talented, um, and the yeah like I say the setting and sort of that time I don't think has been mined as as sort of richly as it as it could be. Obviously, um, this is a, a white filmmaker, not a black filmmaker, I mean, we'll see. It's just one of those, I think a bit like how I talked about All Eyes on Me and how they're going to handle uh, the Tupac Shakur story. Mm. I think I'm interested too to see how this period of history is revisited from an outside perspective. The filmmakers are going to be largely Turkish and French. So we'll see um, We'll see what comes of King's uh, this this year to be really
0: Cool. Okay. No, I'm intrigued by that. I think Daniel Craig and Halleberry can be good when well-directed but don't always deliver the most amazing performances. But yeah, there's potential there. Sounds interesting. So,
1: Right, man. Rev your engines. We're getting into the features section. This week, as everyone may well be aware, a certain film has smashed all box office records to the extent that we kind of can't ignore it. Um, that film is, as Paul mentioned earlier on, Fast and Furious 8 or Fate of the Furious, or F eight, depending on the poster or territory <laughs> yes. that you've
0: been uh, privy to.
1: Paul, we'll set it up. Can you do? You, can you set the plot of this film?
0: Uh, yes, I believe Does I it can. Does it matter so to th- set the, the plot, plot? Doesn't really matter in this film. But you so you op- open up with an action scene, then some cars blow up, some more cars blow up, a submarine appears. Um, which is all the stuff you see in the trailer No, so basically the, the film opens uh, follows on pretty much directly from from Fast 7, uh, the film opens um, with uh, the heist, uh, Dominic Toretto and Hobbs or The Rock which is called in The Rock uh, for the sake of argument, or Dwayne Johnson, as as his name actually is. Yeah, we might as well just call um, all the characters their actors' yeah, names because yeah, it gives a shit yeah, what their exactly. names are in the film, really? So um, yeah, so they they're doing their thing, which is a heist, stealing some kind of bomb or weapon, a uh, MacGuffin. They're stealing McGuffin. MacGuffin. Uh, cars crash. Uh, Dominic Toretto. Oh my days! Uh, Betrays them all, and the rock goes to jail. Has a fight with Jason Statham. Jason Statham has. Then they have to work together to fight. This is all set up, guys. This is all set up. Then they have to work together because Charlie Stroh is trying to do something that isn't made particularly clear to do with nuclear weapons. Uh, And then they all is Dominic Truett the bad guy or isn't he? Uh, And then boom, 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 boom. Well, Charlize Theron
1: uh, to clarify that a little bit is is trying to act (laughs) as you saying
0: there wasn't. You saying there was something wrong with my setup. Well, no, I'm I'm only using
1: it to sort of take the piss out of the plotting even more because Charlize (laughs) Theron's role is to um, get hold of essentially nuclear codes so that she can keep a check on the excesses of governments around the world because you know this film is modern that's what we're supposed to understand from that and as is the tappity-tap computer stuff that pervades throughout this and kind of hamstrings uh, Charlize Theron's role but we'll get to that Um, okay so the plot as Paul's laid it out kind of convoluted kind of dunderheaded, as you would expect doesn't really matter and it's full of sort of MacGuffins as you said Uh, We've got, you know, Vin Diesel's there in a white vest, white khakis and a white shirt. So you know that he couldn't possibly turn heel, but then he does. um, And that's where we're supposed to get our sort of um, narrative thrust here. I don't think that that stuff, particularly um, Dom, uh, Vin Diesel's character, I don't think that is any part of the reason why I actually quite liked this film. Oh, you liked this one. Yes, I did. Can I tell you why? You can, yes. And then you can come back at me and we see how it goes. Uh, See how these cars crash into each other and sort of fall to pieces by the end of our review. Um, My question to you, Paul, and everybody listening who is quick to sort of slag this thing, I think it's got 52% on Metacritic, something like that, and has been labelled one of the worst and weakest entries in the series, is what do you want from a film like this? What do you want from a film like this? Because from where I'm sitting, what you want from a film like this is state of the art uh, special effects. You want incredible feats of sort of um, car crashing and, you know, maybe not drift cornering. You don't get that so much in, in this movie, but uh, you want incredible visual spectacle. You want stuff like The Rock kicking people in the chest. Check. You want stuff like Jason Statham delivering some of the best work that I think he's done in his entire career. Check. Uh, you want references to other action films. We've got an extended reference here to Hard Boiled. It's fantastic. Um, you want an, a female character in it who has at least a little bit of agency. Okay, Charlize Theron's the writing of Charlize Theron's character is is pretty minimal, but she has enough poise and enough star power to do a better job than, for example, Tony Collette did with the recent Triple X film in the basically the same role. Um, You've got uh, Michelle Rodriguez, who actually gets to like get knocked about and then kick the shit out of henchman, Check. Th- there's just a load of parts here where I come out of it and I thought that's one of the stronger entries in a, in a, in a franchise that I've come to increasingly admire it, for what it is. And then I read online just people saying like, you know, oh, the plot doesn't make who gives a shit whether the plot makes sense tell me tell me what's so bad about fast and furious 8
0: right fast and furious 8 is the film that i thought fast and furious that i is the film that i was worried all the other fast and furious films would be before i started watching them and actually quite enjoyed them from number five onwards uh, i really like five i really like six and i really like seven i just feel that this one is one film too far I don't agree that any of the stunt, none of the stunts or the set pieces are anywhere near as memorable as flying cars out of planes, zombie or,
1: car sequence, not great. Not for me.
0: Uh, submarine under ice sheet, no, fantastic, but, but not as good. There was nothing. I didn't come out of that thinking, wow. Did you watch this in no. IMAX? Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. So I can't. I can't have no, give you, you that, just, that.
0: For me, it, for me, this one didn't click. I just felt. I felt that. It was it was just missing something. I didn't I didn't feel the magic was there. That's been there in the other films. And trust me when I say I was cynical before I finally got talked into watching any of these films. To be to be perfectly honest, I would unfortunately I went in wanting to like it. I was expecting to enjoy it, and I came out of it thinking that was do as you know, as the know, critics have said one of the worst films, uh, one of the worst recent entries they, in the franchise. They're wrong though. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean for a start, Jason Statham's mother is Dame Helen Mirren. It's, that, that's, Put on an awful comedy accent. It's a wonderful comedy accent. It's great. Who else would you want to be Jason Statham's mother? Yeah,
0: her, but without the comedy accent. Oh my like, God. I love no, that. No, I part. just it didn't it didn't grab me, and I'm sorry to, to go with the pack on this one. No, it was for me the weakest did one I've seen. Did you find it funny? Four not really you
1: didn't find any of it funny you didn't find things like The Rock saying The,
0: uh, the, the Rock's always funny the, Rock, the Rock's always funny Vin Diesel takes the, all this shit far too seriously So in, and it's seriously it's genuinely missing Paul Walker as it, well it,
1: well in this I was going to say in this film we've got the, the actor Scott Eastwood playing Paul Walker playing a rookie because that new guy who's brought oh, on Scott, board Scott
0: Eastwood is terrible in it as well who's
1: brought on board is, he looks like they've sort of gone to a Petri dish and tried to make a new Paul Walker and they've yeah. got him and he's not quite as good or charismatic yeah. or good looking but he's doing his best and then at one point somebody quips uh that he's a bit green and uh the rock answers oh yeah like newborn baby shit like how does that get into yeah, the film i I'm loved not, it for that
0: i'm not arguing that the rock's not funny but the rock's funny in everything just uh, yeah scotty's what i thought was dreadful no i uh, just no i'm um, i think they should have driven off into the sunset at the end of seven and left it at that interestingly
1: the end of Fast and Furious 7 is certainly bad in this film is, without question um, because of the tribute they made to Paul Walker and the way that that was actually very sort of artfully unexpectedly ha- very yeah, touching we, yeah. we talked about that at the time yeah. and it was really like took us by surprise yeah. the way I was almost moved to tears I think I was pretty much was, was moved, moved to tears yeah, when yeah, that happened yeah, nothing like that or to that level in this film however there is I think again quite a well handled tribute to Paul Walker towards the end of this film um, I won't spoil what it is but I think it was quite nicely done now um, last thing I'll say and then we'll, we'll agree to disagree on this it has been fairly widely publicised that things are not so good in Camp Fast and Furious at the moment mm. between uh, two key players at least and then Tyrese has got his own business going on at the moment with being a bit sexist He's in the incredibly press.
0: annoying in this as well um
1: He does get to just do quips about, you know, uh, African American people not liking the cold or being able to swim. I mean, that's what they've gone for here quite heavily. But um, it seems like Vin Diesel's upset The Rock on set. It seems like Vin Diesel didn't want to show up a lot of the time or showed up late. More for Vin Diesel for upsetting The Rock. That's what I say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he has now been labelled by The Rock a candy ass. So yeah, take that, take that. Hopefully, they
0: can bring some of that energy to the inevitable Fast and Furious nine
1: yeah well maybe he's just turning heel
0: in their actual relationship
1: and then yeah. they will reunite and join forces for yet another yeah. billion dollar movie in, in a year or two's time I mean yeah I totally get all the criticisms that you're making of this film and except for except for and the point that will diverge I think is the fact that I think there are a few spectacular action sequences that, that match anything you're going to see from car based action films at this time in cinema history I, I don't know what else you're pointing to to have better stuff going on than this franchise right now. Seven,
0: six and five.
1: Sure, but it's <laughs> but okay, so it, it might not be, I'm not positing it's, it's the best film in the series, but when those do what they do so well, and this maybe falls slightly short, I still think that makes it a pretty good action film. That's, I guess, where I've come out of this. Yeah,
0: I didn't know, it left me cold, but we'll move on. We'll move on. Well, we got
1: to some sort of sense of an ending with that. I've been we? trying
0: to make that. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to find a space for that. So thank you for that. You've beaten you've beaten me yeah, you to that. Well, so which does bring us then to the film, the sense of an ending. Uh, yeah, Jim,
1: Jim Broadbent didn't get a role in in Fate of the Eight in the end. No, uh, I'm sure contender. probably
0: Jim Broadbent will turn up in the Fast and Furious film at some point. But that's a whole other feature into who you'd want to see in the Fast and Furious films. Um, but no, which brings us to the sense of an ending. Um, who directed this, Pete? Because I haven't written this down.
1: Oh, uh, the name escapes me, and I'm going to pull it up in just a second. Keep talking.
0: Um, so, The Sense of Renegade is about a film about um, Jim Broadbent, who plays um, a character who is com- kind of coming to terms with his past after he realises he's been left a diary in a will. Mm. Um, so, Be- based on
1: a novel by Julian Barnes, which yeah. that, that was massively successful bestseller.
0: So pick it up from there, Pete, because you're much better at setting these things up for me. And this is, you know, it's a vague film at best, so it needs R- a, a
1: Ritesh Batra, okay, the
0: director of I think a film called The Lunchbox that we haven't seen, uh,
1: handles this thing. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that's the, the sort of um, the basics of it, isn't it? He he's gonna he's pursuing this diary because he feels that it will reveal something important about his past. His past, which we jump in and out of in a sort of fractured narrative, um, was at seemingly public school and then followed a period at university where he goes off to wherever he went to university and his best friend heads off to cambridge um and so we've got here one of those um yeah one of those narratives i say where we sort of jump from modern day london back to bristol what 40 years past um or more and then this pursuit by the modern day character played by Jim Broadbent to sort of make sense of what happened and the impact that had on the rest of his life and the lives of other people. I mean, you made this point, I think, when we saw the trailer for this, where it seemed an awful lot like the whole reading of a letter, re-figuring re- um, your, your past you know, um, decisions and stuff, had a lot in common with 45 years, which also starred Charlotte Rampling, which we also reviewed fairly recently. Um, yeah. D- did it work for you? Though? No. I mean, this this thing. Not, not really. What? I
0: thought Jim Broadbent was great. I thought the young Jim Broadbent was a poor man's Eddie Redmayne. Um, and we all know my thoughts Redmayne. I think he was a rich man's Eddie Redmayne. Maybe, Redmayne. Maybe a rich man's Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, but he's an up-and-comer. So Eddie it, Redmayne it, it, it replacement. Jumped, it jumps around a bit. And the, I think the the whole idea is is for it to be like a... And to, to reference it back to it's a book like a page turn where you're like, oh, I wonder what happens next. or oh, I don't know. This could go anywhere. What has Jim Broadbent actually done? Um... And that kind of works. It does kind of build an air of mystery about it. And you are kind of intrigued to see what's happened. But the whole film is so vaguely constructed. And I mean so vaguely constructed. To the point where I came out of the cinema with my girlfriend and said to my girlfriend, this is what I think happened. Mm. And then she said, okay, well, I'm not entirely sure. She then looked up what the author of the book had meant to happen. And something completely different had happened. And we, when we talked about this film on the podcast you came up with a completely different theory before, as, the, podcast. Yeah, before the podcast as to what you thought had yeah. happened in the sense of an ending and i'm glad i got that out of my so, system because i'm not going to share it now both of us were wrong now we've watched a lot of films and it's not like we don't know how to keep up with films we are aware that films do require you to pay attention despite just talking about the fate of the furious but this um, is a weakness
1: of the way the film this is together, this
0: is not people not following it and honestly every i heard people coming out of the cinema going but i don't what like, what just happened? And for me, it, the film just fell apart with its... And when I when I thought about... When I thought it was what I thought had happened, I was like, oh, no, it's not too bad a film. It was a little bit vague, but that kind of makes sense. And when I found out what actually happened, I was like, no, this film can do one. It just... It lost me completely.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I guess... I, I basically agree. I think, though, that I come back around on the side of the fact that there are still a lot of things to recommend it, not least the performances by, yes, I'm biased, but Charlotte Rampling is excellent again. Um, Jim Broadbent but
0: underused though I thought Charlotte she,
1: yeah thing. she is a bit underused and I think that the film could have done with, with um, less editing I suppose we've said this once or twice recently like yeah it feels like a film that's, that's sort of missing a few crucial scenes which would have filled you in in a way that might be a bit more satisfying when it gets yeah, to the think end, it's, right?
0: it's well enough I say for the most part it is well enough made I just thought if it had some more context then there would be more to recommend it if, if that makes sense Jim Broadbent's fantastic um, as ever in fairness
1: yeah, I mean, but that's that's what I mean, Paul, is that, like, I've talked a few times on the, on the show about how I'm a massive advocate of sort of filmmaking that's about the lives of real people, or at least fictional real people, yeah. you know, in this case, but real grounded stories that are not, having just raved about how I quite like Fast and Furious yeah. 8, by the way, tongue in my cheek here, um, but, yeah... I think that when a film like this comes along and it's imperfect, which it clearly is, um, and imperfectly constructed, again, it it definitely is, uh, and maybe not completely satisfying, I still feel like I would rather not bury it because... I want more films where Jim Broadbent gets to lead a cast. I want more films where we get to sit with people who are thinking about their lives. I want more films about couples who are the, over the age of 30 who still have some reason for us to you know sit down and pay attention to them rather than most of the content that we get, particularly at the cinema at this point in time. So it's not to say that I'm giving this thing a pass just because of who's in it and stuff like that. And I don't think it's a great film by any means, but I do think it's still more interesting than quite a lot of stuff I mean I went and, I'm not going to review it but I went and saw Table 19 mm. this, this week with a little charming Anna Kendrick in it and uh, some other fairly adequate comedy actors and actresses and this is a vastly better film than that is because it's at least got something to say even if it says it in a slightly yeah, cat-handed it, yeah, no, that's, way. that's an
0: interesting point I'll give you that yeah so I wouldn't want yeah so certainly not to not to completely bury it as I said I didn't come out going I despise the film because I didn't by any, by any stretch it's just dis- mm. disappointing that it and it and wasn't it could, better constructed. It could
1: kind of be called like nonsensical ending or something yes, like that. Yes. <laughs> it would be a bit more, yeah, a yeah. bit more accurate. Yeah. But yeah, again, you know, form your own opinion. Um, if you get the chance to catch it the cinema again, I would recommend that you do because otherwise this kind of film won't make it to the cinema. So, you know, you'll have yourself to blame. Yes. Um, That brings us almost to the end of the show, but not quite, Paul, because we always do a little thing these days called homework, not exchanging crimes or whatever the fuck
0: I said on the last episode.
1: (laughs) So let's get to that and remind me, what on earth did I set you last You
0: set me, uh, following on from us reviewing Patterson, you set me Jim Jarmusch's The Limits of Control. Yes, I did. The
1: one that I told you was so damningly reviewed by my father that he left the room.
0: Yeah. Uh, hashtag Team Pete's dad uh, <laughs> On this one um, This should have been called The Limits of My Patience um, Nice Just again it would be a very brief review When we were talking about how Patterson was so good Because it didn't hit any kind of art film cliches um, I think for me This just was a cliche too far um, the, There's a point where um, Tilda Swinton sits down And talks about how much she likes films Where characters stare into space And don't say anything And um, different people cameo and and ask isaac to bang hole, i think his name is or um i've definitely ruined his name there Go with that. um yeah we'll go with that, yeah. um they they constantly ask him you know doesn't does he speak spanish um no for me and it's very rare i will say that a film is pretentious and meandering but i'm sorry jim jarmusch um this film was pretentious and meandering um and just to say i've had a very bizarre week this week so i sat down and watched patriots day as well uh-huh. um i enjoyed a peter berg film and didn't like a jim jarmusch film my world has been turned on its head this week wow my um, so yeah so i would say avoid limits of control and, and can i
1: just take this opportunity again to shoehorn in the fact for anybody and everybody listening that patterson the most recent jim jarmusch film is wonderful and will be one of my films of the year almost guaranteed um you set me though paul the <laughs> very divergent choices yeah. here uh evil speak which you had previously reviewed um oh god i'm you, excited I you're mean, gonna have to give me the director's name though because i've noted it down i've completely
0: here. forgotten off the top of my head my um, directed it, evil
1: I'll, speak. I'll check it in just a second but um yeah anyway i'll get through a few points about evil speak so i think you said it up last time something i found out in researching this film that um despite the fact that it was banned as a video nasty in the uk opening week in the united states it made four hundred thousand dollars which, to me, is an astronomical amount of money in 1981. But what did you think? For a film like this. Okay, wh- what did I think? Um, <laughs> uh, ooh, mm. It owes a lot to Carrie. Um, it sort of kind of steals some shit yeah, from Yeah, that's crazy it does, yeah. Uh, the guy really likes a few things. He likes um, Marauding Hogs, not against that. Uh, <laughs> frequent, like, um, Practical Effect Decapitations, really likes that. Yeah. Eh, uh, quite enjoyable. Um, he likes... Um, the the setting up the idea that this guy is put upon we spend about half an hour <laughs> with this guy he's uh, bullied
0: a lot isn't he C- in this Cooper
1: film? Smith or yeah. Cooper Dick yeah. as they call him which doesn't seem particularly <laughs> like uh, you know a, a snappy nickname they've come up with and also I I appreciate the sort of um, nerve of a director to go like. Oh, the overriding tension of this film is going to come, yeah, partly from the fact that you can summon Satan using, like, a Commodore 64. Which is
0: awesome, but, come on.
1: Right, but it's also from the from the fact that at the beginning and then towards the end it's hinted at, we're getting to a big American military base soccer match. Yes. at the beginning of the 1980s like that is wonderful the fact that all of this sort of bullying and torment and devil stuff and Commodore 64 is all going to bring us back to whether or not Cooper Smith will get to make an appearance but did you enjoy in it? in the in the soccer team I d- d- did enjoy it <laughs> um, I, d- I sort of enjoyed it I think that it lags um, it drags a, quite a bit in the middle third and then I think you suddenly see, oh he was saving all his money for practical effect decapitation. Yes, because the like, end's insane
0: isn't it? Uh, like The fight, the closing moments are bonkers.
1: Yeah, I actually wrote down in my notes here Paul and maybe this encapsulates how I feel about this film. It's taken us a really long while but eventually we've got here a wild hog, naked girl satanic possession sequence to break it up a bit. So yeah the, the film is very uneven it doesn't really go many places <laughs> but you can see the commitment and love that the filmmakers have for what they're doing and there are sequences in it that look far better than they have any right to considering I think the limited budget of this thing so yeah middling review I guess but definitely things to like if you're into a bit of splatter and people's heads flying across
0: the room which I sure. am so hence, hence there we, the, uh, hence there we go. homework right which brings us almost again very near the end but we've got to set each other homework so Pete we talked earlier I think listeners and home will probably work out what I'm going to set him as homework actually well, they might not because we, it could be a potential for two. But I am going to go Split with. we got? I'm going to go with Labyrinth, Pete. You've okay. got to watch Labyrinth this week, which I think you will love because you're a human being. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: well, I've I've prided myself as a fairly big uh, Jennifer Connelly fan, and it's one of the ones, one probably the only a handful of films that she stars in that have not seen and
0: Bowie's in it and he's amazing in it
1: so well absolutely and that came up a lot in the obituaries for for David Bowie not long ago so um, yeah well Keen I'm not going to fight against that and uh, I had some fun with Evil Speak I think this will be a different kind of film
0: but yeah there's less decapitations (laughs) and um, naked women any hogs no Uh, no I don't think there is Um, cool
1: well I'm going to go for again tying it into something that we've talked about Um, we reviewed Joe Swanberg's latest win it all on this show in the popcorn section I'm going to say Happy Christmas
0: which um, stars seasonal I like it
1: stars Anna Kendrick and um, and Melanie Linsky who was in I Don't Feel At Home In This World Anymore
0: and that film we were watching just before the podcast started that's right which is which is irrelevant but Um,
1: yeah so um, what what do I have to say about this yeah it's a film that I like a lot, but I'll see how you feel about it. Lena Dunham makes p- appearance in this as well. Um, and I think I, I might start using this all the time. I think it's some of Anna Kendrick's best work. Okay. If I'm if I'm honest. Right. Although I don't well, know what the top contenders are there, we can
0: thrash it out in, a, in another podcast. I look forward to it then. Um, and that's about it for the show, isn't it? Where can where can listeners find us, Pete? Um, you can find us at the
1: cinema re-watching Fast and Furious 8
0: to see all the new ones that you at the cinema missed movie, the first time Fast and Furious 8. Um. Uh,
1: yes okay they can find us on Facebook it's Strangers in a Cinema if people still use Facebook I feel like that's fading into history mm. but we'll see uh, at Strangers Cinema is the Twitter handle um, we will increasingly do a better job of sort of being around there and commenting although it's not going too bad at the moment uh, Instagram Strangers in a Cinema you can find us there we put out a fair bit of content on there um and you can find all the episodes of this show archived on soundcloud.com forward slash strangers in a cinema although we may be leaving soon if less soundcloud sort of get their act together yeah, we should so see. we'll see how that goes um,
0: itunes stitcher tune in all the, the
1: all the podcast dispensaries yeah. have got our shit to to hand out so yeah, and, go and
0: that's it there. we're out we will see you next week peace